if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, over the summer basically, we've been there almost all summer, we have been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians and talking about what it looks like to do life together. We know that our opportunity as, the believe, as believers in Christ is to share the gospel with the world, but then there's this other part of it, which is to do life together, right? Like real life, um, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And so we've been talking in this series about uh, how that looks and how that could look based on Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Um, kind of a quick recap here again. We, we know, and I've said it ad nauseum at this point, I feel like it's been like eight weeks already, but um, Paul says the church is not perfect and that we have hurts and harms and we actually harm each other sometimes and, uh, and we have to change sometimes our own plans. We have plans and then they change and we're not comfortable with that. Um, he, he threads to this idea that we're forgiving people, that we ought to be predisposed to forgive one another and forgive others as well. And then how we are letters of Christ. We serve in the world. We say the words of what we believe. We don't just serve and hope people figure it out, but we actually tell people what our convictions are. And then we listen to people and we um, in, in, uh, listen well to people about what their convictions are and how that might influence us as well. Being influenced in the world, we're called to have open hearts and then uh, called out of the world but drawn into the body and generous people. Um, this is our second week now on this idea of generosity because there's two chapters, and I'm not doing chapter by chapter necessarily. That's how it's working out right now. But um, the second chapter here where Paul's writing to the church in uh, Corinth about this gift that he's encouraging them to give. But in thinking about this, it was kind of funny. We were um, heading down to the uh, Cardinal game Friday night, and I, I mentioned that because I'll come back to that a little bit later as well. But uh, we were driving down talking about life and how everything's gotten expensive and, you know, how um, gas is expensive and food's expensive and, you know, all these things that are happening. And um, we were talking about this, and someone in the vehicle said, well, everyone is living right on the edge. And I was like, what? And they're like, everyone's right on the edge of being broke. Like, everyone's right on the edge all the time. And I thought, really? Like, is that true? And I had heard some stats that through the pandemic, actually, that people had begun to save money for the first time in years because they weren't going out as much, I guess, and they were getting more money usually. I mean, the government was cutting money, for better or for worse. And uh, all this, and so people actually had acquired some savings. But then I looked into it, and I was shocked to find out that... Um, uh, 49% of Americans had been living check to check, right? And then in 2017, 54% of Americans were living check to check, meaning paycheck to paycheck, meaning you miss one check and things just go wrong after that, right? And then I was stunned to find out that this year they redid the poll and 64% of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, Wow. And by the way, I'm not laying any guilt on this. I was just shocked that that's like more than half the people are living that way. Hand to mouth, they call it, right? Um, so then I was looking at this, and I couldn't believe this quote. It said, 60% of millennials who make more than $100,000 a year are living check to check. I, that's what I did, Caleb. I was like, what? You're making over $100,000. And you're, so all of a sudden, it comes into focus that it's not a money issue. Because if it was a money issue, you could sort that out, I would think, if you're making 100000 a year, right? Young person. And I'm not picking on anybody. And that would be, to, to you know, statistics are funny, right? Because you can 
play with those things, but um, it's 60% of those who make over 100,000. So, but that's still more than half the people who are doing really well are living check to check. And why is this shocking to me? Because as Americans, we're wealthy. Like, you don't have, now we're not the most, always the most wealthy in the world, but you can travel and you realize how wealthy we truly are. And so in our second, uh, second week here in the, on, uh, on this topic of generosity, we're going to examine what it looks like to be faithful in our finances, okay? And so this is, and we talked about it before, we're going to bring up the green box in the back. This is where we get that conviction from. Um, so with all that being said, we're going to pray like we always do, that God would give us wisdom and understanding from his word that he would teach us what he would have us to know. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we do thank you so much for the chance to come into your house and to worship you and praise you, uh, to celebrate your kingdom on earth, the people that you're redeeming from every uh, tribe, nation, and tongue. And then, Father, us here this morning in this room uh, asking you together to teach. Would you be our instructor? I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would instruct us. We don't want the wisdom of man. We don't want some kind of a worldly scheme on how to get ahead, but we want to know uh, what it looks like to be faithful with our finances. So would you show us that, Father, in our lives? Uh, would you help us to kind of see through the fog of life uh, to true life and then lead us in that way? Only you can do it, and we ask that you would in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you brought a Bible this morning, I encourage you to go ahead and uh, open it up to uh, Romans, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And also we have Wi-Fi here, so you can pull out your smartphone or whatever. You can hop on the Wi-Fi and you can do it that way as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. This is what the word says. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything of you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. And then it will be given, be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And so now Paul starts to get in. I said last week kind of Paul's getting into this meat of the letter, right? He's trying to, he's talked about the past and what they've all been through and the hurts and the harms. But now he's getting into um, some of the purposes for which he had sent uh, Titus to them and these other faithful brothers. I will remind you that we closed with that last week. The, the examples of a faithful ministry or a generous ministry, and they were sending these brothers onto um, the church in Corinth to encourage them. But Paul gets into some specifics here, and I, I want to talk about a little bit of the background here, right? So Paul was trying to encourage the church in Corinth to fulfill a promise they made to send something back, a gift of their choice, to the um, church in Jerusalem. And that would have been Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. And so Paul, the missionary, he's out there and he's like, and we're going to take, and that's why he said, we're going to be faithful with this gift back to the saints on your behalf, not just before God, but before men. Like he wanted some good accountability on how the funds would be handled and how whatever it was they were giving, because I don't want to limit it only to funds, but whatever they were giving uh, would be handled 
But then he starts this part this way. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. Uh, that's the uh, diakonos to the saints, right? So the holy ones. And, and I first read it, I'm like, there's no reason to write it. Well, then why do you write it? <laughs> like, you ever said that? You know, like, I don't want to have to say it, but, and then you say the thing that you don't want to have to say? Well, clearly you want to say it. Well, Paul's like, there's no reason for me to write to you. And one way you can interpret this is to say, I shouldn't have to write to you to say this, <laughs> right? So Paul's like kind of doing this thing like, you, you ought to know, but I'm going to say it anyway, right? So um, that, that this work that we're doing is valuable to the church. Why? Why is he writing to the church in Corinth about this? Verse 2 answers it. Because I know your eagerness to help and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that, that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Okay? And so Paul's concerned now because this is his missionary journey like we talked about. And he's written multiple letters. But now he's, he's boasted about the church in Corinth. Um, I love this idea that he says your predisposition to give, your posture to give, it's this inclination to give. And the imagery that comes to mind for me, just for me maybe, is it's like they were like the starters in the blocks on the track. You know what I mean? They're waiting for the gun to go off. Somebody's like, hey, there's this need. And they're like, we're going to do it, man. We're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. And they get down and they're ready to go. And then Paul goes, this church over here is ready to go. And the Macedonians are encouraged this is the first thing I want us to see this morning. Our passion can stir action in other people. The things that we get passionate about, the word uh, passion there is actually heat, right? The things that we get fired up about can get other people fired up about the same things, whatever they are, by the way. And so in this case, the church in uh, Corinth was fired up about supporting and then the Macedonians got excited about giving. And you'll recall with me that the Macedonians, Paul had written in chapter 8 about how their, their, um, uh, their tribulation, their compression, what did the word say? And their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. That was a church in Macedonia. That, they, that the Macedonians were, were stunningly generous. And that somehow in the middle of it, they found ways to be generous beyond what they could give. And so Paul's like, you stirred them up to that, right? So he's like, you're the church. You're the ones that were excited to do this, excited to give. And, and you stirred them up. But now in the middle of this, it seems that Paul's writing because, the, you know, I don't think the Corinthians are in the blocks. They're running the race, right? But now there's some questions. What's Paul's ministry really about? Who are these guys he's running around with? Is he going to come back to us or not? Is he using us? And all of a sudden, I asked last week, what, goes, what takes us from wanting to do a good thing to actually doing it? What happens in the middle? And it seems that it's all this doubt. It's all this time to think again. Are we really committed to this mission work? Are we really committed to supporting the saints? Does God really need us to do this? Who's Paul? And we're going to get into this later, by the way, because I think it's funny here again that Paul says, I've been boasting in you, right? He said this to them multiple times now, and we're going to talk in the coming weeks about um, what it looks like to boast and, and what we ought to be boasting in. But here Paul says this, in the middle of their race, he's like encouraging them to finish. And he says, your zeal, your, your passion is increasing more. It's, it's encouraging more Macedonians to give. 
that you had stirred them up. And so verse three, so I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you would be ready as I said you would be. Now here's a concern he has. So the Macedonian church had gotten in this. They're like, yeah, we're gonna do this thing. And then uh, the Corinthian church starts to wonder about what, what's really happening and should we be part of this and is Paul even coming? And, and, and part of Paul's concern is that some Macedonian Christians might come to these people that he's bragged about being awesome Christians and then they're gonna be like a bunch of controversy, right? And so Paul wants this, if they happen to come, he wants their arrival to be a blessing and not a burden. He wants it to be good for the church, the big C church, to be able to celebrate what God was doing among them all. And so he, he says that in verse four, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to say anything about you, but we would be ashamed of having been so confident in what you had promised to do, right? Verse five, so I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements of the generous gift, I love that, that you had promised. So we're gonna stop there and we're gonna hit that one last verse in a minute here. So he's like, we thought it'd be good to send some brothers ahead to talk to you about what you plan to do to make sure you're going to do it, right? Now, okay, I'm gonna unload a little bit of baggage here because I've always wondered how churches do pledge campaigns. Have you ever been in a church that's done a pledge campaign? Family Bible has never done a pledge campaign. <laughs> and I've not been here the whole time, so I can take full credit for that. Not that I know of, I guess. But one of the things that happened, we started looking for a building to meet in, to buy or whatever. Um, we started talking about, can we borrow to do this? Should we borrow to do this? And how are we going to do it? And one of the things the bank wanted to know is, what kind of pledge campaign do you run? And we said, we don't. And they're like, what? How do you run a church without a pledge campaign? And I'm like, generosity? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not saying we're right, by the way. I'm just saying, no, we never have. Here's the funny thing. As a leader, I'm not a fan of pledge campaigns. <laughs> you know why? I'm being really honest. I don't want to have to be Paul. You said you were going to do this. Now, are you going to do it? Like, that, sounds, that seems like such a terrible position to be in as a leader. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to sanctify pledge campaigns, <laughs> but here's a biblical model of it. And Paul's sending the brothers to say, you said you're going to do it. Are you going to do it or not? Right? Um, so that's funny. One final point of this, though, is family, you know, I was part of other churches before Family Bible Church, not as a leader, but as a, a tender, a worshiper, a, a member, if you will. And uh, I did those things, pledge campaigns. I was like, fine, I don't have a problem telling you what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. But no one ever knocked on my door <laughs> and said, hey, you're going to do it? Isn't that interesting? So, so Paul's like, you know, your, your encouragement, your, uh, your passion encouraged others, but you're not even going to follow through. We, we need you to follow through on this. I remember one time, by the way, I, I visited another church. Um, uh, Dave and Don Parker's uh, son was being baptized, and we went out there for this. I'm not throwing anybody on the bus here, by the way. It was beautiful. They did baptism at the beginning of the service. It was wonderful. I was glad to be there for it. But then after the baptism, they got up there, and, and they had the at least a 20-minute exhortation <laughs> that people fulfilled the pledges they made because they bought this huge building and they were having a hard time paying for it. And I just elbowed Chris and I'm like, I never want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy. 
I felt so bad. I'm not saying they ought not to have followed through. I'm not saying they ought not, and I'm not even saying they're not doing better work or good work. But it just seemed interesting to me. You had to stand up there and plead and, and almost um, compel people to be faithful. Paul says, last word here, if, verse five, B, okay, then, okay, I'm just gonna read the whole verse. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Okay, there's the promise. Now, then, if you fulfill it, it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, Paul's concerned about that idea of having to crack the whip to get them to give because you'll find out as we go through this that giving is not even the point. Giving is not even the goal. Giving is not even the, what he's after here. But Paul says if they give freely, if they decide ahead of time that we're gonna, we're gonna fulfill the vow that we made, we're gonna, we're gonna give when the brothers come and encourage us to do so, that would be a good word. The word is uh, euangelion. No, it's not. It's, uh, yeah, eulogion, which is like, where we get the word eulogy at a funeral. You, you say a good word about the person who's passed. It would be a blessing. Here's the way it's interpreted. It would be a gift rather than what? Rather than greed, rather than extortion. See, see Paul has no interest, and, and I'm totally here, in extorting people. He, he has no interest in, in cajoling people, right? He, he wants us as believers in Jesus Christ to live generously and to be faithful with all that God has entrusted to us. And so um, I don't know if you've ever been that way, but I was thinking about this idea that other people's passion stirs us to action. Have you ever been stirred to action by someone else on something you didn't even know was an issue? I remember years ago, Chris and I went to a, a Christian concert and they did that thing where they put a kid's picture on every seat and then they had, during one of the intermissions, they said, hey, pick up that picture of that kid. And I'm like, what is this, you know? And they're like, you can adopt that kid or you can take it, <laughs> take it back and put it on the table. Go give him, go turn the kid in. It's going to cost you about the amount, of, the amount of, cost you to drink coffee every day. Listen, I'm not judging anybody that takes that kid back. I, I can't go to the pound because of that. I can't, I can't walk through there. There's no way. No way. But, but was it to, to compel me, to conjole me, to extort me? Or was it to open my heart to what God was doing all over the world through generosity? Because oh, we were giving to all the things that we cared about. But nothing over there, nothing out there people we knew, people we loved, people in our lives. Yeah, but not, not others. Have you ever had someone else's passion stir you to action? And that's what happened. Here's the funny thing, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute. They said, we just want you to pray about it, but if God ain't calling you to do it, don't do it. That's why they did that, right? And, and my wife and I prayed about it. See, we're after something bigger with our finances than what we can buy or, or, or how generous we can be. Have you ever had a hard time following through with a promise you made, right? Heat of the moment, you're like, yeah, I'll do that. And you're like, how am I gonna do that? We're gonna talk about that. 
So going on here now in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says this. Remember this. He actually says, now this. Now this. Pay attention. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're a part of Family Bible Church, you should, that verse is sound familiar <laughs> to you. We don't, I don't know if I've ever actually preached it, maybe, but we talk about that a lot, not under compulsion. I recently had someone who hasn't been in our church in a long time. They've been moving around the country in different jobs and stuff, and they wrote and they said, I heard a thing this morning. I thought you would love this, and it was that same idea, because it reminded me of Family Bible Church, not reluctantly or forcefully, but from a joyful heart. Isn't that beautiful that we would give like that? But he says, look at this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? The, the idea of sowing is, you know, I always think of planting, right? Like we have a garden right now. I don't garden. Chris does. We, she planted, right? But this is like a scattering of seed. And, and, and he's saying here that, that, that if you scatter sparingly, you're going to harvest sparingly. Dave Ramsey says it this way. Uh, we live in a sowing and reaping world. Deal with it. <laughs> it's, it's not just true for money. It's true for everything. That the things you put out in the world are what we're planting. And then when harvest times comes, after diligence in a season, then we have uh, the fruit of our labor. And so Paul says, if you're going to sow uh, sparingly, and I love this, one of the interpretations is stingily. <laughs> if you're going to so stingily, we are going to reap stingily. Now we're going to turn this whole thing on its head in a minute because it's not about the more you sow, the more you get. It's about the more you sow, the more you grow. That's the difference. It's not about returning a bumper crop for yourselves. It's about returning a bumper crop for another purpose. Being more generous. He says, Whatever, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, right, will also reap generously. So in the same way then, the, the, and the word generously there is the same word. It means a good word, a blessing, a gift. When he says, I want you to give this as a gift. I don't want it to be grudgingly given. I don't want you to do it because you have to and you're trying to be, you want to, really want to be stingy, but you're going, to, you're going to give it anyway. You just want to go, here's the gift. And you're going to give it willingly. Look at verse seven with me. Each man, and that means person, right, mankind, each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give. I want you to see this, that giving is a heart issue. Giving is a heart issue. It begins there. And I want to remind you that even last week when we talked from uh, 2 Corinthians 8, whenever uh, Paul says, I'm going to send Titus to you. I want you to see that even when, even when Titus was sent to the church in Corinth, it wasn't like Paul was like, Whoosh, get out there, Titus, and go do your job. That's not what happened at all. If you look at me, it says, um, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 16, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. So this was already on Titus' heart. He's like, I want to go. I want to go to Corinth. I want to tell them that you are coming, and I want them to be ready whenever we come with this, to receive this gift to take back to Jerusalem. I want to get them ready for that. You see, because that generosity starts in our hearts. Giving starts 
in our heart. And that was true consistently throughout, and it is true consistently throughout the work of the church. You should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly then, the word says, that's out of regrets, heavily with grief, and not under compulsion, necessity. Isn't that funny? Like, I'll give it if you need it. That's not a gift. The gift is to give. Literally, the word here means just to let go of it, not to hold on to it. I've often thought about, and and we've lived this out in in many ways, but I mean, as a church family, but sometimes you're like, I want to make sure I'm given to something that's worthwhile, right? Like maybe they're squandering the money. Maybe they're, maybe somebody's getting rich off it. Maybe they're not being, and that's, and that's why I can't support them. But you see, here's the trick. That's a hard issue for you and for me. Because if we think we have to control the outcome in order to be generous, we're never going to be generous. It's more like this. Take it. <laughs> we had an opportunity. We, we um, went and served with another ministry, and it got really complicated. And at the end, it was so complicated, they said, we'll give you your money back. You know our team said? No way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a gift generously given. We brought it for the Lord, and we don't know. We don't know what you're going to do with it, but we trust God with whatever happens with that. We, we didn't come out here to, to check up on you and see if you were doing a good enough job. Why? Because it was a gift that was generously given. And that wasn't a gift only from us who went. It was our gift from our church, from many of you. We just went out there and we were generous. Because here's the thing. The, uh, it's as it's, it's much about the giver. It's as much about the giver as anything. Not about the one who receives, but the one who gives not reluctantly, heaviness, not of compulsion, no. But what we've decided in our heart to give, check this out. This is crazy. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that, what? God loves a cheerful giver. I thought the Bible said God loves everybody. John 3.16 says God so loves the world, the whole world God loves. Who, what's Paul saying? He loves a cheerful giver. I, want, I love this. You know, we always say the green box in the back, we call it joy box. Woo! And we do that, you know. I'll do it again. Joy box. Woo! That's why, because we don't do pledge campaigns. We don't pass a plate. We're not better than anybody else. We always say, because we're portable, we'll probably lose it if you don't put it in the joy box. Woo! That's why we're excited to have it back there. But also, because it's up to you what you do. It's up to us what we do here. We don't ever want to compel you, because God loves a cheerful giver. So we always cheer. Woo! When we say joy box, right? But, I'm not going to say it no more, I promise, (laughs) till the end. But, the word in the Greek is where we get the word hilarious from. It's the same word as hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And I don't know if you know me all that well. I think many of you do. But I I think things are funny sometimes. And I think generosity is hilarious. It's kind of funny just to be able to be generous. And and, and we've had conversations with people like, and by the way, I'm not, I've seen people that stun me with generosity. I've seen many of you who stun me with your generosity. And you exhort me. That thing I said, you, you fire people up. You fire me up to be more generous as well. You make me examine my heart about stinginess because of your generosity toward others. But I think it's so interesting that God agapes a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, one who laughs, right? 
So we always go, woo, we put our, uh, you don't have to do that, but you can, you know. Uh, but <laughs> who are you laughing at, by the way, when you do that? Who do you think you're laughing at when you're like, God loves a hilarious, <laughs> you know what I think that means? You think this is all I got? Do you, do you think I'm, I'm so hung up on money I can't let go of this? Do you think I can't give? And I'm not talking about Family Bible Church. I've told you all before, and I'll say it again. I challenge people to be generous in their lives because we ought to be generous. And if we're not generous, it's a heart issue for us. And so the way I kind of get ourselves out of it, I say, not Family Bible. Be generous to somebody. Be generous to a stranger. Make it hilarious, though. Let go of it, right? Be, be hilarious with an organization. Be hilarious with an opportunity, because if we can't be hilarious in our giving, we might have a serious heart issue with the gospel. God loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's interesting, right? A hilarious giver. Verse 8, listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Ergon, there it is, right? So he goes from this diaconal service to the work of the people. That God is able to make all grace abound, charity, by the way, the word grace is the word charity, abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, more than you need, you will abound in every good work, the work of your hands, Argon. Listen to this, verse 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. And I read that. He scattered his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I'm like, where did that come from? And then I looked it up, and it came from Psalm 112. I want to share with you Psalm 112 real quick. This is where the quote's from. Praise the Lord. That's hallelujah in the in Hebrew, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are his household, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkest night, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will, be, he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart will be steadfast, trusting always in the Lord. His heart is secure. He, he will not have fear. In the end, he will look in the end, he will look in triumph on all of his enemies. He scattered his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His dignity will be raised in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to Nothing. I asked the question and I said, who do you think we're laughing at? God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. We're not laughing at God. We're laughing at things that would purport to be God over us. That's why it's hilarious. You are not my God. I don't live in fear. I, I have more than I need, no matter how little I have. 
So God loves a cheerful giver. And one last thing I want to say about this is that if we decide in our heart, right? We've been talking about this in this letter, like the heart, the center of your being on what you're going to do. Then, then, then you have the ability to do that. What, what God has compelled, called you to do, you have the ability to do that. And uh, that giving from your heart means that we pre, and this is the key, we pre-decide what we're going to do. We pre-decide what we're going to do. We don't say, whenever I X, Y, or Z, then I'm going to be generous. We're like, I'm going to do this. Right? And whatever that is. And someone made the point, they say, Paul doesn't name a number here because it's not about a number, it's about what's coming out of our heart, right? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it faithfully before the Lord. And so we predetermine what we're gonna do. That changes everything in our lives. If we decide ahead of time what we will do, then we can do it. It's our, and we have the ability to do it. I'm gonna be a generous person. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna scatter freely. I'm not gonna live in fear of not having enough. I refuse to do it. And so you pre-decide. I remember um, whenever I was training to become a pastor at Greenville College, one of the classes we took was called Ministry Seminar. It was only a two-hour course, which wasn't a lot of credit, maybe even one hour, but it was great. It was a great course. And in that class, we were challenged with this question. I want you to decide right now, and to be fair, I was a second-career pastor in the room full of a bunch of 18 to 20-year-olds. But he said, our 20 to 20-year-olds, he said, I want you to decide right now what's the most money you will ever take to do your job. That's an assignment. Go and think and pray on it and get a number that you say, I will never take more than that for my job. Everything else is excess. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I never, I never thought about it. And he said, when we came back, he said, now here's why I wanted you to do that. Because if you don't have a limit, you will chase it and pursue it and you'll never have enough. You'll always see it as a lack and not an abundance, but you will have an abundance and God will give you more than you deserve, more than you can handle. Like, That's wild, man. And I, you know what's funny? I still remember that, that class all those years ago. I don't think he's just talking to pastors, by the way. What, what's your number? What's enough that you can start to be generous? What's enough that you can be faithful to the things that God's calling you to do in your heart? You can do them. This is a little different thing for generations, but this tripped me out a little bit. I'm not sure if anybody even here young enough to know what this is, but uh, there's this thing called YouTube. You you all know what that is. But there's this young man on YouTube. He goes by Mr. Beast. I mean, you know who Mr. Beast is. Some of you giggling, you know who he is. Mr. Beast, you know, I was stunned to find out, and this is just by half. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying nothing about Mr. Beast. I don't watch Mr. Beast. I just always see he's in trending videos and whatever he has. He just broke 100 million subscribers. That means he reached 100 million people every time he puts a video out, which is crazy, right? That's a lot of people to reach with every upload. Um, but I was more stunned to find out that recently he filmed a segment that cost him $1.1 million, and then he scrapped it. He didn't even put it on YouTube for free. $1.1 million video, right? So whatever. But I happened to catch an interview, and I can't tell you how to rabbit trail to this, but I happened to catch an interview where someone else goes, dude, don't you worry about ROI, return on investment? You, you've paid $1.1 million to make a, a, what is it, like a 12-minute video, and you just pitched it, didn't even put it out. 
And, and I was stunned by his reply. He said this, we are interested in making awesome videos, not making money. What? I'm not, listen, how do you get to 100 million subscribers? <laughs> That's what he's been doing. He's gaming the system. I saw some stat that said he made $54 million last year. Made? Maybe. Gave? Maybe. Let me tell you something else about this guy. His name's Jimmy, by the way. Mr. Beast Jimmy, like I know him. <laughs> He's 24 years old. 24. I, you know what I thought? Honestly, here's my own stingy art. That man's going to be 40 and going, what did I do? <laughs> How much money did I give away? But he's living in a state of generosity. Listen, God is able to make you abound in every way, in all ways, so that having all sufficiency, you can abound in every good work. He's given us the ability to be generous. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Reading on now. It's verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your, here's the word, righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Right? So Paul's like, in every way you're gonna be blessed. I want you to see this. That Paul says this, that God gives seed to the sower. That means all that sowing that we're doing is God's anyway, right? So he gives the seed to give away. But look what it says. He gives bread, right? Let's see. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Because what could be a concern when you're sowing like that? How am I going to eat? What's in it for me? And he says this. God hasn't only given you the seed to sow with. He's given you the bread to eat. He's given you the ability to, to make that to, to uh, earn and share, however you want to say that, to be generous, that he's given us the beginning and the end, the seed for the plant and the bread at the end. The bread comes after what? The harvest and the baking and the division and then the eating. It's, it's, it's God's the beginning and the end of everything so that in that he will bless you and enlarge, and the word is actually multiply your righteousness. What? Multiply your righteousness. Now you start to see what Paul's worried about with people. That not that it would be about what we get back. That's not what he's saying here. But that we would be God's righteous people. We'd be hilarious people in the world. And that people would be affected by that. What is going on? How can you be so generous? God supplies sowed to the seer, uh, sowed seed to the sower and bread to, the eat, to be eaten. The beginning end and multiplies it. Here's the question. Have you pre-decided in your heart what you will do? And I don't mean at Family Bible Church. I mean anywhere in life. Have you pre-decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set this portion aside for a purpose. I'm going I'm, I'm to do something. And I'm sure many of you have. But I would encourage you, like Paul does here, well, then do it. Live in that way because God is multiplying righteousness. Now get this, the last thing. And it will result, Paul says, in thanksgiving to God. Here's the last thing. That God's gift brings gratitude. 
God's gift brings gratitude. I, I wanna remind you that when we start talking about the idea of generosity in the church in Corinth, Paul called it a gift. Remember he said, you have these six things, add to it generosity, right? Don't not be generous because you have these other gifts. Be generous also. Why? Because it's a gift of God to be generous. It's his gift to us to learn to be generous. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, so it's not just about the needs, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks, that's you, Christo, to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. I'm going to unpack that just really quickly. Reading on, though, for now, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So he says that your generosity is going to result in expressions of gratitude toward God because of the service by which you've proved yourselves. Men will praise God for your obedience. Do you think there's people in the world that are thankful there's obedient Christians? I know plenty of people who are thankful that there's obedient Christians. This morning I received a letter from a missionary who wrote that very thing. 15 years ago, I asked you to pray with me and consider supporting me in this ministry and mission. And now I couldn't have guessed how much it would be uh, bringing itself forth in the gospel presence in my life and the life of others. That we get a chance to participate in the work. That it overflows in gratitude the letter I read this morning sounded like one that was hard to get into words. You, you can never know how thankful I am to God for you, for generosity. Our service is not about meeting needs only. So it's not just like there's a need, meet it. There's a need, meet it. That's not what we're trying to do here. But it's an overflowing of thanksgiving to God. And I want to say this to you, that it's not about any one person getting behind the screen, but all of us manifesting in gratitude toward God. That's what generosity is. It's us being grateful. Thank you, God, for all you have blessed us with. It's the ultimate reciprocity, right? Look at this. Verse 14, watch this. And in their prayers for you, who's, the people whose gifts are, are you're receiving, in their prayers for you, their hearts, their hearts will now go out towards you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. There's like this, there's like this circle of gratitude going on that's all relating around the gospel and Jesus, like all relating around God, right? That, that, that the church is giving generously and that people are thanking God and the word there says praying for you and it's making supplication for you. Why? Because who do you want God to bless unless it's generous people? <laughs> like, who are you gonna, God, would you just bless that stingy person? Would you just, they're such a jerk. Would you just give them more jerkiness to be jerky with? Who prays that way? But when you see people who are generous, you're never jealous of that. You're like, God, give them more. They're super good at this. They're really generous. And so the receiver supplicates on behalf of the giver that God would continue to bless and that they would continue to be faithful with all that God has entrusted to their care. And there's this beautiful circle of gratitude and generosity that's spooled up around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at verse 15. Thanks be to God, Paul says, for his indescribable gift. See, Paul says, and I told you last week, he roots it all in the gospel. God's gift brings gratitude. 
thank God for this indescribable gift. No, thank God for his indescribable gift. The Greek there says there's no words to explain that gift. Paul literally says, I can't explain how beautiful this is when God's people are generous and reciprocate in prayer. Literally, God is giving the gift of generosity to his people. He does this then through Christ, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And our response, any response we have to the gospel is only a response to his generosity. You've given us so much, Lord. What can we do? Who can we love? How can we give? So, with all that being said, here's a couple questions. How might God be calling you to be generous in your life? This last week I heard a couple people kind of quote that back to me after last week. I found ways to be generous. I'm like, awesome. That person's being generous. Awesome. What might God be calling you to be generous with? Or here's another way to ask it. What convictions does God have on your heart? I want to ask that question. I love that model. And not just, of, I'm not talking about giving here. But in your heart, what is God calling you to do? I'm going to ask you to take a few seconds with me and pray. Ask God. Whatever the circumstances, whether it's uh, money, but relationships, opportunities, what would God have you to do? Pray with me and then we'll close together. Father God, for all the generosity that you've poured out on us, may, may we take time to think about what you might have us to do. Lord, we, we, uh, we've heard the exhortation and the rebuke from the word today. We, we uh, sense it in our own hearts. And we have a tendency to be closed down and uh, un, ungenerous, uh, non-generous, uh, and, and we, we don't want to live that way. We want to be generous with you. We want to be generous in our lives and our time and all that you've given to us. So, Father, I pray that we would take time to sit and listen, ask those questions. Uh, what would you be calling us to do? And that, that you would then uh, compel us uh, to obedience in that. That we would believe that an obedience in the name of Christ is never wasted. No matter what it looks like, it's always glorifying. And, and it, just you and us, Father, just you and each of us would know, would know what you've compelled us to do. Lord, we don't um, want to function like the world does. We don't want to chase the things of the world. And, and indeed, uh, we want to be um, hilariously generous. Father, would you help us to do that? We thank you so much for Jesus Christ who demonstrated the utmost generosity in giving himself that we might be free, allowing uh, criminals to nail him to the cross, forgiving all the way, and then being raised to new life. 
and inviting us in, undeserving as we are. I pray, Father God, that, that, that our gospel conviction would be matched by our action. Help each of us, Father God, be obedient to you. May you be glorified as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.